Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess. Today's guest is Champaign County Clerk Aaron Ammons. Good evening. Good evening. Congratulations on your historic win. Have you figured out why Republicans had such a stronghold on this office for 80 years? Wow, that's a good question. First of all, thank you for the congratulations. I'm still learning this whole, or filling out this whole process, coming to grips with it. Uh, But have I figured out why? Low turnout from the Democratic Party. You know, I think that's what uh, it boils down to, because as you can see, we can win by large numbers when we turn out. And certainly one of the things, Elizabeth, I, I really realize is that although this is a referendum on Trump, this is also something that's being missed is the, um, the young people, the March for Our Lives and everything that's happened with the children and the gun violence in the high schools and all of the energy that those students are um, galvanized and they organized around. That also inspired a lot of the college students to come out. It wasn't just this referendum against Trump because the Congress overall was being challenged by these young people and the inability of Congress to act on the gun laws. So I think that had as much to do with it as people coming out to say we can't, we just can't tolerate anymore of Donald Trump. It did start at the top, didn't it, with a lot of people. When you got in there and started working, did you bring some of your own people in or did you maintain a lot of the staff that was there? So there was some turnover. Of course, uh, I replaced uh, Gordy and then uh, the my opponent and the uh, chief of staff who was already there, they were, I was going to relieve them myself if they didn't, but they, uh, they resigned. So that was three different people right off the bat. And then the... Uh, lead tax extension specialist left, as well as the IT person and a person um, who was a deputy county clerk who used to handle the sort of mobile home taxes and things like that for us, amongst uh, a couple of other tasks. So there was a significant turnover, but the core of the vitals division, the core of the elections division, and one person from the tax division are all still there. They're great. They, they come to work. They do their job. Um, they know their job well. You know, I, I, maybe I'll share some other things with you eventually about all of that. But, you know, I've brought in a new tech person. I've brought in one deputy county clerk. Um, so and then I'll be, my my chief of staff will be coming in January 15th. So um, I'm definitely surrounding myself with people that I know that I I feel like can um, carry forth my vision. But I'm also sharing that vision with the rest of the staff and they're buying in. Not just this election, but as long as I've known you and beyond that, registering people to vote has been one of your passions. And you personally registered thousands of Champaign County voters. Why do you think voter turnout continues to be historically low, especially for midterms? Well, one of the things that I saw um, in looking at the data for this upcoming consolidated election is that it has grown by 1,000 votes for the last five elections. 17,000, 18,000, I mean, just roughly about 1,000 each time. So I think it's growing even in these smaller municipal consolidated elections. The midterm elections, I think, I think people are sort of taking a breath after the presidential election, right? You know, and if you're not a political junkie, somebody who's really involved all the time, you can miss these things because you didn't we just vote? Yeah, you did. And when we just bombarded with all this stuff in the presidential election, yes, you were. I do think, you know, having two billionaires spending money like crazy did bring more attention to the midterm. So that's not a bad thing or? I still 
believe in democracy in its purest form. And I do not think that buying or having the money to saturate the airwaves and stuff, I don't think that's an inspiration or that's the pattern that we want to to create for democracy. I don't believe that. Am I happy Bruce Rauner is gone? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, you know, uh, I, I just want to be real with you about that. But I do not think that that's the pattern that we want to create or that's the path that we want to, to lay if, if we want to continue to have the average citizens like myself or somebody else who say, hey, I want to run for governor or president or whatever the, the, uh, the office is to say, hey, you've got to have billions of dollars to do it. I do not think that's what we want to do. During the campaign, there was a lot of discussion around automatic voter registration, cross-check, electronic registration information center. You want to remove Illinois from the interstate voter registration data cross-check program system. There's a mouthful. (laughs) What's the most efficient and fair way to maintain voter rolls? You know, this is something that I'm learning a lot more about. But the voter maintenance process, the system that Eric has uh, in place, that particular program, I think it's sufficient at this particular point. I'm seeing things behind the scenes that, of course, that I did not have uh, access to what I was not privy to when I was campaigning. And I think it is going to be uh, the best system that we have for now because of the when you put all things together, the safety of the system, the checks and balances, how you use more than just a two point system to verify if someone um is maybe trying to do some sort of voter impersonation. So I think Eric is the best system that we have now. There are some concerns uh, with Eric. I don't want to act as if it's there's nothing uh, wrong with it or there's uh, nothing that can be improved. Uh, we know that sometimes college students, when they go home and they get a new ID, the system, the Eric system, will register them back home even though they're here at school. So we have some concerns with Eric that we want to try to work out. But right now, I think that's the best system that we have. Let's talk about early voting here. And it is written in the state statute, which I didn't know. The Illini Union is used as an early voting site. You saw the long lines this year leading up to the election on Election Day, snaking around. What do you plan to do to make voting more accessible and easier for students? And if I may give my two cents, (laughs) let's move some of the voting places from the rural areas and put them closer to the center of the city. How do you feel about that? Well, one thing I have said is that um, if everyone is waiting 30 minutes, then we just have to improve it everywhere. But if some people are waiting for two hours and other people are not waiting at all, then certainly we, we, I can do some changes or uh, balance that out. And if that means that we're going to have fewer election judges in one of the more rural areas so that we can have more election judges on campus, if that's what I have to do, then that's what I'll do. Uh, I do think there's a tremendous amount of education and outreach that could really help this situation on campus. I'm going to fight to the for, to the very end to make sure that we have uh, something on the first floor. Nobody else in Champaign County votes on the fourth floor, right? Uh, I don't. I don't. I want to make sure that we have access to the Pine Room. So I've already talked to the chancellor. I mean, to uh, President Kyleen. I'll be meeting with the chancellor. I've talked to one of the student groups already. Uh, we're going to do everything that we can to make sure that we have access on the main floor. I think the other thing that we have to do is talk to the students and work with these uh, with the university and the other registered student organizations and say, listen, there's a good number of people, students who were in that line, who could have walked around the corner to the YMCA and waited for 
15 minutes as opposed to waiting for two hours. But because it was a universal polling location, the union got most of the attention. So there's a tremendous amount of information that could be disseminated to the students, really encouraging them to vote, let's say, on October 25th or the 26th or the 27th, right? Instead of waiting till November 4th, 5th, and 6th. Some of that's on them. Students wait till the last minute, but the uh, snaking line down four flights of stairs. Yeah, no. So again, I want this to be on the first floor. Um, We're talking about basically 11 days and not even a full day in any of those days. And so I've been talking to them a little bit about this, about how we can set this up. And I want to have, I'm going to set up another meeting so I can just really lay out what a plan would be. I'm still learning at this particular point what the possibilities are myself because from the outside looking in it's like hey why don't you just do something different well how do you actually implement that change is what I'm having to to deal with at this particular point I do think that with President Kyleen bringing zucchini bread to the students on the stairs and Chancellor Jones being upset for having to wait so long that the uh, the impetus is there to bring about this change and I'm confident that we'll have a change I'm not so sure that it's going to happen for this April 2nd election, um, but certainly for the presidential election, we, we, we will be in a different space. Let's talk about your experience. And I'm only going to name a few of the things, but you're one of six statewide elected trustees of the State University Retirement System. You've been alderman for City of Urbana for four years. You were president of a local SEIU, local chapter 119. Did it piss you off when your opposition ran on false claims that you weren't qualified because you didn't have, quote, experience? <laughs> I wouldn't say it pissed me off, but uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, but we took we took that opportunity to show that no, you're the one who lacks the experience. Just because he worked in the office, which certainly at this particular point, I recognize the benefit of being behind the scenes. I mean, he didn't come close to the years of experience and, and the involvement in the community, the relationships the experience, the the wide range of experience that I have for the various different things that I've been involved in. So, you know, what I learned through campaigning with Carol and for, you know, working her campaigns and stuff is that, you know, there'll be opportunities that your opponent will give you and you should take advantage of those opportunities. And so when they tried to run on experience, that was just right up my alley. This is, no, I have the experience. So we took it from them. That's Instead of being mad about it, I just took it from him. You mentioned it earlier. We wanted a change, and you were talking about a change. Absolutely. You ignited the interest of the electorate. Exactly. And so I think those are the things that uh, I'm learning even behind the scenes and from other conversations that there were a lot of people feeling the direction of my campaign and the message of my campaign, even those who couldn't say so publicly. (laughs) I want to ask you one question, and I vacillated to ask you this, but to run for office, you needed a pardon and expungement of a past felony conviction. Governor Pat Quinn made the final call before he left office. My question for you is, who would you credit for pushing you in that direction? Was it your wife, Laurel Pressing? Who do you give credit for? So I'm glad we can take a moment to, to work on this. So first of all, county offices I didn't need a pardon for the county office. I needed the pardon if I were to run for the city council, right? So um, uh, Dwayne Northrup, the current coroner, also had a felony conviction. I think he's been expunged or something since then. But I always knew that running for county office, I didn't need any sort of uh, expungement. So uh, I was working on expungement for a long time, working with other people, and I had already started the process myself. Um, But 
as we began to work on the Carol's campaign and things like that, I said, you know what, I'm going to turn it in and see what happens. So no, it wasn't Laurel Pressing that prodded me. It was the work that I had already been doing. And so I decided to turn it in. And Carol would have, I would say that Carol nudged me a little bit like, why don't you go ahead and turn it in and see what happens? So we did. But, uh, you know, I know Laurel says that she made a phone call and stuff like that. She may have. I knew nothing about that. Um, but I refused to allow the decade of work that I did, all of the work that I did to help other people and to educate other elected officials in this town about the expungement process. We go round and round about this. I introduced this to Katie, to Katie Blakeman. I went to Katie after she won circuit clerk and sat down with her and said, hey, listen, this is something that I've been trying to do. I like to see it in the law school. And so she was explaining to me that I think uh, Tom Bruno did some of it. So she had some idea around it. But this is something this has been my baby for a long time to introduce this and to fight for this. So I'm not going to allow Laura Pressing or anybody else to say I did this for Aaron. No, Governor Quinn, first of all, would not have pardoned me if I hadn't been doing some of the things that I had been doing in the community and had a record that he could stand on if he if somebody questioned him about it. So I appreciate anyone who made any phone calls or who tried to help out in any way, because I do appreciate the pardon. But nobody's going to take away what I worked for and what I feel like I earned. So. I hope that clears that up. It does. Even in those situations, I know that there was a lot of work. Now, Carol is, is we ride or die. That, that's, my, that's, my, that's my queen. I'm, I'm her, we are partners. We're all of this t- together. So I would not have been in this place, the 10 years of service, CU Citizens for Peace and Justice, all those different things that we learned together built this platform or this foundation for us to stand upon. So I have to always include her in this process of where I am now and she'll include me in where she is now. So she's always a part of that. But I just want to make sure that we don't go too much more outside of that as far as being responsible for uh, the, the pardon or, and for the exp, uh, the expungement. That's perfect. And I'm glad that you just brought up your wife, State Representative Carol Ammons. She's become one of the most fierce and respected members of the Illinois House. With that comes criticism. What have you learned from Carol about how to operate with class against adversity? Produce. Produce. Um, when you are producing landmark legislation, when you're protecting the Muhammad Aquifer for everyone to drink, when you're helping thousands, hundreds of thousands of temp workers not be uh, exploited by the, the industry, uh, helping inmates and, and their families reduce the phone calls. When you're doing things that that the people want, even those who may claim they don't want it, they they appreciate it. So hard work. Uh, competency, dignity, integrity, producing, and, you know, game recognize game, you know, and we real recognize real. So I think as long as we are producing and we're doing the right thing for the right reasons and we're getting results, then, you know, the criticism will come because it comes with the territory. But whether or not it sticks will be based upon what, uh, what you produce. You're both so humble and modest. The whole term power couple, do you just roll your eyes at that? I mean, you really, (laughs) you now own this town, this Uh, county. That comes up every now and then. It's always humbling when somebody's like, is it you? Is it, and Carol gets it all the time. I knew that was you. Is that, is it you? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, she's a star, right? And I, this is, you know, this is who I go to bed with every night. So I don't see it in that same way. And, you know, people call me like, 
you're the county clerk. I'm like, yeah, I'm the county clerk. And they're like, you don't, do you realize what that means? I was like, yeah, I got to go in here in the office and make sure this election run right. Um, but there's something about it that really feels good in service to the people. I will tell you, Elizabeth, I feel good about being in this position because I feel like I earned it. I do not feel like I was given this. I don't feel like it was handed to me. And so when I get up to say that I'm the county clerk or when I go into the office, I go in, I feel proud. I feel good about it. And I know that there's some perks that come with it. But I've always said ever since Carol was elected state rep, that this is a sacrifice more than a privilege. And I don't say that to discourage people. I say that to be real. There's, there's, it's a tremendous sacrifice, the scrutiny, the spotlight, the expectations. I, I felt bad leaving at 4.30 today, right? You know what I mean? Because I, I felt like there was more that needed to be done. So I feel good about it. Uh, the work that we've done and whatever uh, appreciation and respect that we've garnered from the people, um, power couple, you know, I understand why people say it. And I think it is something very powerful when you have a, a couple uh, who's doing work that's increasing uh, the opportunities and changing the lives of people. Power couple, I understand that you got to be careful with that stuff. So if you all want to call us a power couple, I'm cool with it. Okay. But you, I won't do it, though. <laughs> <laughs> One more question before I let you go. More on a personal note. You're a devoted father and grandfather, and you have a random collection of animals as well. What surprised me about you was your love of gardening. What ignited that interest? And what else is there out there that we don't know about you that people might say, really, Aaron? I'm going to take this back to my aunt, Aunt Louise. Um, Louise Avent. I grew up uh, in Chicago, south side of Chicago, 105th in Lafayette. And as a young boy, uh, I spent probably my, I don't know how young I was before I started going over there, but as long as I can remember, I actually spent most of my time with my aunt and uncle, Aunt Louise and Uncle Bibi, in Chicago, on, on the south side of Chicago. And so in those very young sort of formative years, I spent a lot of time in the garage with him, in the basement, or more time with Aunt Louise because he, when Uncle Bibi would go to work, I'd be there with her. So whether she's teaching me, um, we're picking beans and shucking corn and picking, you know, opening up peas and stuff, but we would be out in the garden all the time. And I had my own, I called it my own strawberry patch. Um, I had a raspberry bush. Um, so many times Uncle Bibi would come and get me from my parents' home for the weekend and I would stay with them. And when we walked out of the garage, he would leave the light on so I could see the raspberry bush and I could pull raspberries off before I went inside. So I was introduced to gardening at a very young age um, and I just loved it. I loved being out there. I loved watching things grow, eating fresh strawberries and raspberries and gooseberries uh, from Miss Johnson next door. So it was instilled in me by my Aunt Louise early on. And then it just, uh, I went to a botanical garden course when I was at uh, school in fourth grade at Marcus Garvey in Chicago. And it just something I loved. I found great peace in it. And so when I came here, we had a little garden at my mom and dad's house in Chicago as well, but we came here, we gardened a little bit. And then I just, uh, when we moved into the house where we're at now, 
uh, I videotaped the backyard and told Carol, see, right out here, this is where the garden is going to be. And that's where it's been for the last 12 years, 13 years. Is there anything else that we, that we don't know about you that might surprise us? I, am, I love playing chess. Uh, my dad taught me at a very young age how to play chess. That's something that I just absolutely, I would play for hours. I'll still play on the computer for hours and I just can't watch the screen. So I'd rather play in person. And when I went to Washington, D.C., there was a, there was a park across the street from uh, the White House. This was many years ago, um, but I went and I played there when I was a young child. I went, well, when I was in high school, we went there for a trip for uh, African-American club. But I haven't done a lot of that in the outdoor areas and stuff. And I think that's something that I, that I would enjoy. I never really got into speed chess. So I, I just, you know, we, me and my dad, we, it might be a 30, 40 minute game. It was how I was taught to play the game. That speed chess, you know, my, my skill set, <laughs> my, my, uh, my win ratio goes way down when I started playing speed chess. You're strategic, which is how you ran your campaign. And I really appreciate you making the trek out here to Southwest Champaign. And Absolutely. I hope that you are Champaign County clerk for as long as you want to be. Well, I'm going to work hard. I think everybody knows that I'm going to do the best that I possibly can. I do think that the, the voters are looking for some something different. And if we can keep these students fired up, then I will be county clerk for uh, as long as I want to be. <laughs> well, Champaign County Clerk Aaron Emmons, thank you so much for your time this evening. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm.